0: Welcome everybody and we are in the middle of a sermon series on the book of Acts and have been in there for quite some time so if you've joined us for the first time today uh, it's okay. It's fine. Uh, you can pick up right where, right where we're at and not necessarily miss, uh, um, miss what we're doing. It all is building upon each other in a very glorious and God-filled Christ-honoring way. And so thank you for being here. And, and for those of you that have been journeying along with us, hopefully you still have those Acts journals or you have your Bibles because we're going to be looking at that today and diving in. But before we get into opening His Word and, and talking about the Lord in the words of our former pastor, Jerry Kasberg, before we talk about Jesus, let's talk to him. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your amazing blessings, and pray that now as we open your word, O oh Lord, we've, we've sung praises, we've, we've prayed prayers, we've uh, fellowshiped with one another, we have greeted each other with, with uh, a Christian greeting, of smile and hug and all the things, and now, Lord, as we sit in these pews with, with the word open, Do an amazing work, oh God. Do an amazing work in spite of me, in spite of everything else. Just do amazing things. Draw us nearer and closer to you. May we only hear the truth this morning. And for those of us in the room who may not know you or are struggling, who are maybe not on good terms and and arguing with you, Lord, may they find peace today. May they find salvation today. For it's you, oh Lord, that we've come to see. Show us, guide us, and direct us in the ways of your truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week we were looking at our buddy, our pal, uh, uh, good old Peter. And I, you know, I always look at Peter and go, oh, Peter, you know, you try so hard. Uh, But Peter, uh, I mean, Peter is the uber disciple, the disciple of disciples. He is the one that looked at Jesus rightfully before Holy Spirit moving and all the things, though Jesus says this is from God that you said this. But he looked at Jesus and said, you're the Christ. I know this. And Jesus is like, God has surely put that on your heart. And yet time and time again, poor Peter, oh Peter, um, messes up, slips up, does some things. And I think it's just so great for us because uh, we get to look at that and be like, okay, we don't have to have it all together for Christ to use us, to call us, to send us. We're going to make mistakes and Jesus uses us anyways. And so in the midst of these oopsies and upsies and downsies and what'sies, we can be with Peter and see the lesson that Jesus has for him and take it home a little bit for us. Last week, there was a man named Cornelius, a Roman centurion, a Gentile. And Cornelius received a vision. And we found out that Cornelius was, was trying to actively get to know, respond to the God of the Jews, Yahweh. And he's in Judea, and so there's Jewish people around him. And so he's picking this stuff up and is responding and doing righteous things. He's giving alms, and he's praying. And so the Lord greets him and gives him this vision and says, Ah, you've got one more thing to learn. Go and send people to go to get Peter, Simon Peter. He's staying at another house of a guy named Simon, so don't get confused. You don't want the tanner. You want Peter. And so go send him there and bring Peter to you. He's got something to say. And then we fast forward and then to Peter, the next day, around lunchtime, he gets a divine vision, Peter does. And this sheet goes down and there's animals of all different kinds that are on it. Animals that are not kosher, now if you know the Jewish history and the culture, something that is ingrained in Peter, it's his DNA, He can't shake it, it's a part of him. And I'm sure there's things like that for you as well. There's just things that are a part of you that are hard to kind of shake, especially when we... Come to know who Christ is and have that life transformation. There are things that kind of hang on that we have to every now and then be aware of. And for Peter, it was that history and that culture of his, of his Jewish heritage that says, you don't eat things that aren't clean. There are things that you have to do to make them clean. And so this sheet comes down with all these animals Peter looks at it and says, oh, okay, sure, whatever. And actually, this is my version. But anyways, the vision and the, the, the voice and the vision of God says to Peter, rise, go eat. Eat these, kill and eat. Eat these animals that I have provided. And what does Peter say? Peter, oh, Peter, by no means, Lord, by no means will I ever eat anything that is dirty, which is such in line with how he sometimes rises to these tests and, and kind of falls a little bit. By no means will I divert, desert you, Lord. And Jesus is like, ah, I, sure, let's see what the end of the day holds. <laughs> but he looks at these things and says, by no means am I going to eat that. But the command from God in this vision for Peter is in direct fulfillment of the Old Testament. Make no mistake, God is not double speaking. He's not changing it up from what he's already laid out. Just Peter hadn't connected those dots yet. For all throughout the Old, uh, Old Testament prophecies, especially Isaiah, it talks about God bringing in all the nations, not only the, repairing the rift between the two kingdoms of, of Israel and Judah, but bringing in all the nations, all who would respond. And so that's a thing. Like, that's not new. And so he needs to send Peter to go get all nations. Well, all nations means dirty, icky Gentiles, and Peter doesn't want to go and be with dirty, icky Gentiles because that's not lawful. You can't do that. Everything in that Gentile house is probably defiled because it hasn't been blessed or consecrated. And so if I even bump into like, you know, the end table at the foyer, I don't know if they have foyers back then, but maybe. And if you bump it, you're dirty. So you don't, that's, you don't do that. God says, rise and eat these animals. Do not call common what I have now made holy. Do not call common what I have cleansed. And so this direct command comes to Peter. It's not only a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, but it's a demonstration of the sovereignty of God. Last week, we talked about these by no means moments that we have where we wrestle for lordship. And when Peter says by no means every time to Jesus, he's wrestling for lordship over his life. It is a core sin that comes from the fall of Adam and Eve. The devil says to Adam and Eve, oh, that's not what God said, or are you sure? And desiring that it was good for knowledge, they lifted up their hands and pulled it down and ate. They wanted to be the lords of what was happening, not what God said. And so that's sown into all of us. That's the core nature of most of our sin is we want to be lords of our lives. We don't want to always do what Jesus and the Lord calls us to do. But here's God with this sheet and these animals. And he's saying, will you eat this? And Peter's like, no. And Lord's like, well, I'm sending you someplace, and you need to go. Rise and go, and go to this place, because these people who have come for you, I have sent them. I'm sending you to a place of defilement. I'm sending you to a place that in your mind and in your logic, Peter, it's dirty and it's unclean. But don't do that. I have already done a work. In this house and in these people, they are clean and they are ready for your message. That's not what it says here, but that's in between the lines. So, Peter rises and he goes to go to Cornelius' house, and that's where we're at today. Acts chapter 10, verses 24 to 48, and we, as he says in Paul Harvey, are going to get the rest of the story of what has happened with Peter's vision and now going to Cornelius' house. I'd also call your attention to the statement from last week in the dream where the Holy Spirit says to Peter, rise and go. And it just hit me this morning, this rise and go. It has echoes to when David was called into being king. Y'all remember that story? When David was, it's okay if you don't. So Samuel was a prophet and he was sent by God to go and and crown the next king king. Uh, of Israel, basically, because Saul, the original king, was a nightmare, just crazy, was not great, and was not suited for this. By the way, the Israelites were warned by Samuel, you don't want a king. If you're going to get a king, they're going to loot and plunder and take everything that should be God's away from you. But they say, no, give us a king. And so, okay, God said, fine. And so there was Saul, and Saul was a nightmare. But then God, in his great mercy and his provision, was like, okay, let me raise up somebody for you. And sends Samuel to go to the house of Jesse and wait there until I tell you who is going to be the next king. And so Samuel goes to that house. He sees all the, the sons that are there. He rightfully goes up to the first son and thinking, okay, this is it. My job is done. This guy is great. Look at him, he's wonderful. Sound the trumpets, get the oil, let's have a feast. And God says to Samuel, no, 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 not him. And Samuel's like, well, okay. And then goes down to the next one, the next son that is there. And surely it's this guy. And God says, no, 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 not him. And we go down and down and down and down. And you get that famous line, Samuel, don't look at the man. I am looking at the heart. And then finally we get to the last son that's there. And God has not said anything to Samuel. So Samuel looks at Jesse and he's like, you got anybody else? The thing was supposed to be here, but God has not moved. And Samuel, Jesse was like, yeah, I got, I got one more. And he's out in the field doing things, helping out with sheep and things, and you sure you want him? And Samuel, with all great conviction of the Lord, says, go and get him. We will not, what? Sit. We will stand until he comes. There's something with that rise and go. And for Peter, rise, go, go to this house that you don't think deserves the message that you're going to bring, because that's the house that I'm sending you to. You, O Peter, who have preached to thousands and have seen thousands convert because of the gospel that I've given you, now go to this one house, to this one man, and preach that same gospel and celebrate and be amazed at what this is going to do right here with these people whom you thought are dirty, but now have been made clean. Y'all tracking with me? What we want to take away from today is this. The Greek lesson, write it down. The Greek word for whosoever, this is very profound, everybody. Poise, y'all ready? The Greek word for whosoever means whosoever. All means all. And as we will see with Peter and his struggle, and really the, the Jewish Christians of the time, they're struggling with this. They're struggling with what it means, what whosoever means. And what all means? Because they really are closed in and thinking that this is our little present here. What what do you mean by to the ends of the earth? Well, let's dive in. Okay, let's look at Acts chapter 10, verses 24 through 48, page 1092 to 1093. So, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and take them out. Uh, if you got a phone, you can look at them there. As always, if you cru- cruise the internet. Jen's going to come around to the pews and and escort you out. No, I'm just kidding. But let's open those up. Let's see what the rest of the story is. Acts chapter 10, verse 24 to 48. And on the following day, they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them. Underline that if you have Bibles that you write in. Was expecting them. And had called together his relatives and close friends. Now, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter, in a great, this is where Peter gets it. Peter lifts him up and says, stand up. I am, I too am a man just like you. Cornelius is thinking this is a special man of the vision uh, coming with a message from God. Surely I must bow down and give him reverence. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. Do not do that. Like he knows enough. Like, no, don't give me that. We, we, we both, both of us are dudes. Don't do that. Verse 27, as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered, many. And he said to them, Peter says to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone from another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And so when I was sent, I came without objection. Now I ask you, why have you sent me? Cornelius said four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house about the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter, who is staying at another Simon's house, who is a tanner. So I send for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God, to hear what you have been commanded by the Lord. Look here now at this first passage here, verses 24 through, um, I guess, what is it, 33. The first thing I want to call your attention to here is the posture of Cornelius. Cornelius, a Gentile, a Roman centurion, knows a smattering of Jewish customs, is responding to Yahweh in a way of of prayer and alms. He's not fully in, not fully Jewish, that kind of thing. So he already has some judgment from the Jewish Christians. Look at his posture. Upon hearing this vision and having this vision, he is overwhelmed by excitement. And not only that, he gets his family and his friends and gathers them all around. Because in some way, in Cornelius' heart, he knows that what Peter is about to bring is a message from God himself. And that that message is going to be life-changing. Do you ever open up your scriptures with a posture of excitement, expecting to learn something life-changing? Because that is the power of Scripture, as Paul has told us in Romans. You, know, you can open that up and read it, and it has the power of salvation. It has the power of ongoing transformation. And therefore, we should be running, not walking, to get messages and hear from the Scriptures of the Lord. Because it has the power, the power of transformation. You should gather all of your friends and all of your family and say, there is good news in here, let me, let me share That's exactly what Cornelius is doing. He's expecting Peter to come. I have been given a dream. Surely God's going to deliver, and surely Peter is going to arrive. So y'all come around and wait. We're going to wait. Peter's coming with this message. Now, side note, oh, Peter. And this just could be the way that I am reading it because I don't know if in the language it it gives us any clues. I just find it odd. I find it odd. It's odd that that Peter takes a moment to say to them, now you know, it's not appropriate for me to be here. Like, who does that? Like, who goes to someone's house? You've been invited for dinner. You walk in, you know I'm not supposed to be here, you know, and says, it's unlawful for me to be here, that I should not be in here, but God has told me I, I can't call any of you unclean. Like, that's even worse. And then says... So now I came without objection. What do you want, basically, you know? And I think if it were for me, if I was Peter, I think I may probably would have that same kind of sense. If God is telling me to go to a place that I'm not supposed to go to, I might be thinking, okay, let's move this along. What is it that you want? I'll give you the message, and I'm out, and you're good to go. I don't know. Maybe I'll get up there, and Peter will be like, no, I was not that way. I'm like, whatever, Peter. But anyway, so... <laughs> Look, look at what now, look at the, if there is an attitude to shift, look at the shift. Verse 34. After hearing Cornelius recount his vision, he connects the dots, Peter does. He sees, okay, these, something is going on here. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Underline that, no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, I'll take a minute here, this no partiality. We're going to camp out on this term here after we finish this passage. Because it's, it's, there's, there's impactful things that we need to pull out of it. It's a huge biblical concept. But what... Real quick, just to give you a little taste of what's happening here, is that Peter uttered this profound statement after recognizing God is doing something huge here in this Gentile home, this home that's dirty but now has been made clean, that God's doing something. And so he says, God shows no partiality, but in every nation who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to the Lord. And what it means is that God is not honoring external privileges of man. God is not honoring the external privileges of man, meaning status and rank and ethnicity and prestige. And this is in the habit of the Lord. You just go through the Old Testament and God has a habit of picking the second son and not the first. The first is always supposed to get the inheritance and it's always usually the second one or once removed or something that that he works with. This is his MO. This is nothing different. And so Peter's like, who said that? Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Alex. Alex gets an extra jewel in his crown. No. Every nation who rightly responds is accepted. So, and don't miss that. Who rightly responds. This is not a broad brush, right? Y'all come, hey. No, no, no. No, where there has been work of the Lord on the heart who responds. The the gospel of Christ is doing amazing things and fulfilling Old Testament prophecies and Peter's starting to connect the dots. And then so after connecting the dots, verse 36 and onward, Peter steps into the preacher role and gives this house a sermon. He takes up and off now. He gives this house a sermon in the same manner, everyone, as Peter has preached all the other times in Acts. It follows loosely the same structure of his message, which just blew my mind. That Peter, the one who has converted thousands by the gospel preaching thing that he, and he was pretty consistent. Every time he got up, he kind of followed a pattern. You know, what happened, and then this was Jesus, and then they killed him, or you killed him. He was talking to Jews, then he rose from the grave, and, and now we're witnesses. I mean, that's all the things, and then usually an end of repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit, right? Just kind of, if... Listen, maybe that's what I should do. I should just have the same message every Sunday, make things go a lot easier. <laughs> see how, no. But it's just the same, that's boom, boom, that's what he's doing. The message that converts thousands, now God sends to the one. Isn't that crazy? And has this just the same impact as you will see. So Peter goes on and he preaches through this, this, this statement. As for the word, verse 36, that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Underline that. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with Jesus. God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he had did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone whosoever believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Ooh, wow. Attitude change, right? Peter now speaking full of the Spirit, preaches the gospel of Christ, and in so doing unlocks the truth that this is not just for them, but it's for all. All in whom would respond in faith and belief. All in whom God is working on in the heart to turn that heart towards him. Respond and believe regardless of ethnicity, country of origin, male, female, doesn't matter. All who would respond. And then it ends here with the Gentile Pentecost, the Holy Spirit then falls upon the Gentiles while Peter, while he was still saying these things. So here's a change, because in the other passages when he preached, he usually end with repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. He doesn't get a chance to say that here. While he is still preaching and saying these things, the Holy Spirit falls on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, so the people that were with Peter, the Jew Christians, notice here Luke is classifying them as the people who were circumcised, who had come with Peter, they were amazed. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the dirty Gentiles. I added dirty. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. The Gentiles were speaking in God uh, tongues. The Gentiles were extolling God. It's the Gentile Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come upon them. And then Peter says, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit? Who can stop now us from baptizing them? We have seen the Holy Spirit is active and in them and doing these things just as the Holy Spirit's been with us. How dare we stop any of this from happening? We need to baptize them. It reminds me of of, of, the, of um, uh, the temple courts. When Jesus goes into the temple and flips all the tables, right? He does that because he's going to the temple and in the Gentile courts, they've changed it to money changing and corruption. The Gentile court is where Gentiles are supposed to worship God. And Jesus flips tables because he's like, how dare you stop anybody from knowing who I am? While he's still preaching, it says, they receive the Holy Spirit. And as Peter's eyes look at this, he's like, who can stop us from baptizing them? They have received just like us. They are in the family just like us. Let's baptize them. And then notice what it says at the end. They don't get up and go. Like I said in the beginning, where Peter's like, it's unlawful for me to be here. They don't get up and go. What do they do? They remain for some days. Which then Peter's vision... What happened? came true, didn't it? That vision of the sheet with all the animals coming down and God says to him, eat these. I've I've prepared these for you. If they're staying for some days in a Gentile's home, it goes to figure they're going to need a snacky snack. They're going to need some food. And they're going to eat that which is unclean by Jewish standards. Look at the change in attitude. Look at how the gospel has the power To do amazing, awesome things, even with the likes of people that Jewish Christians thought there ain't no way. Why would we even bother with that? Obviously, forgetting Jesus' call that you're going to be my witnesses to the end of the earth. End of the earth would imply everyone. Whosoever means whosoever. All means all. All right, let's dive in. Now, I told you, we've already dove. Let's go and swim a little bit more here. And I told you that we were going to look at this word uh, partiality, right? Because here is this big biblical concept, and it has implications for Peter and the Jewish folks at that time, which might be a little review, but it also more profoundly has implications for us. What's this word partiality mean? He says God doesn't show partiality. Well, if you look at, sorry, again, the Greek for partiality, it means... Respect for persons. So if you put that in the English, God shows no respect for persons. And that was a real head-scratcher. I was thinking, well, that sounds a little harsh. I mean, God loves us, I get that. But it would be nice to also be respected a little bit, you know. I do work for you. No, but I mean, it would be nice to to have that. So I was like, I don't get it. Jenny, you have to give me some... Wide load clearances. (laughs) Goodness gracious. What's being flushed out here is that God is not showing favoritism. He's not showing favoritism based on human privileges, human prosperity, and human rank. Remember David, last one in the line doesn't look like a king. Oh, that's the one. God is not in the business of that. Show favoritism in that way now, this rattles the Jewish culture because for so long they have believed, and it was and that was a part of the Jewish culture you 're sons of Abraham, you are god 's chosen, you have received the law, you are going to get the land of milk and honey so long as you keep the law and of course that proved to be a problem, but they 're still waiting for the land of milk and honey, so they have that within them, and so them experiencing that this could be somebody else is is, is They they don't get it. They would think, no, there is partiality. We're the chosen folks. But Peter's proclamation about it is in the realization that God is moving and preparing now all nations, the Gentile audience, to receive the gospel just as it was foretold in the Old Testament. And it didn't matter that they weren't clean Jews. What mattered was the sovereign will of God has now turned his attention on other folks, other folks in whom he created other folks in whom he's doing a work in who will respond to the gospel. So the words of Moses and Exodus come back. God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So right in the middle of his message, Peter said, Jesus is Lord of all, and it sums it up for them. It sums it up that if God is the one true divine God who sent his one and only son, who has created the one human race, then he can, by his will and by his lordship, bring and unite the one human race to him. One salvation for all. Grace and mercy and salvation are open to all who believe. We are all on a unified playing field as created once by God. How we are unified is that we were created, and two, that we fell, that we all fall short of the glory of God. But the hope of hopes, the third thing, is that then we all can respond to the one Jesus Christ and receive salvation. There's no partiality with God. What he's looking for and what he's doing is what's happening in the heart. And the heart that will respond in belief and fear and reverence of the Lord is acceptable to him. And that, for the implications for the Jew Christians at the time, you see they are astounded. They are amazed. It opens their eyes to a world of possibilities to how this gospel is going to be expanded even more. Now, the implications for us, I'm going to get into a little bit of our stuff here. The implications for no partiality for us, and the lesson for today is that, my friends, we cannot, as faithful believers say who we will and who we won't respond to when God tells us to rise and go. We cannot look at other people and say, these people I will talk to, but these people I will not. These people I'm going to serve, but these people, uh, no, no. We cannot show that partiality when the Lord says, rise up, go without hesitation, without distinction, and go and share the good news. I was leading a youth group in Fleming Island, Florida, which is in, uh, Jack- just close to Jacksonville. And Fleming Island is a very affluent place. The only thing that makes it an island is like this little creek that, that cuts off a piece of the land, and now it's an island, and they can charge double for the houses. And so that's kind of where, where the, the community that was there. But the church was great, and the students were great. Oh, I had great fun with them, and we, and we grew as a youth group and did amazing things. We went on mission trips every year. They did things with Katrina Relief and, and whatnot. One year, I decided that I wanted to bring them into urban ministry setting. And I had, I had been a teacher in an urban setting, and so had fallen in love just with, with all of that culture and all that comes with that, and I thought this would be great. This would be great for them to see and to experience and to love on all kinds of, of, of folks. Well, we get to Atlanta, and they begin to see where we're working, and they're like, why are we helping these people? They've got nicer cars than I do. They got, they got cell phones. They, 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 like, why are we helping them? Why are we here, Mike? What is going on? And then I heard then the leaders begin to kind of also say the same thing. Like, this is a real head-scratcher for us. Why are we helping folks who look like they don't need help or can help themselves? And I was troubled by it because I I thought, I truly believe that we have been sent here to serve regardless. And so I began to realize that what God was going to have me do is begin to teach this youth group that it doesn't matter in whom or what they look like or what they have, we've been called to serve. And if we have that attitude, we're going to miss our Corneliuses. We're not going to see the person that that God has, has us there. And it could just be one. Sometimes God transforms thousands and sometimes he transforms one. And yet the kingdom rejoices either way. And so it was a real teaching lesson for them all to be like, no, 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 no. Don't show impartiality in distinctions of who gets your service and who doesn't. We are here and we are representatives of the Lord and we shall go and be the Lord regardless. Because we don't know who's going to respond to that and come to know who Christ is. Showing partiality also should have, not showing partiality, should also have implications for us as a church. If we think about being bold and courageous witnesses and we think about going out and serving the poor, going out and and sharing our heart with others, then we need to be loose with our traditions and our culture as a church, don't we? We can't be so set in our ways about what church looks like, sounds like, and feels like. All we can really stand on is the gospel truth of Christ and that he's called us to do two things, which is what? Love the Lord above all else and love others just as Jesus loved us. It's real simple. And yet we, we, we get it all confused sometimes. We start majoring in the minors and thinking that it has to be this way, and if people aren't welcomed by that, well, then they can go and find someplace else. I don't, I don't see that in this text. I see rise and go without hesitation and distinction and don't show partiality and just share Because the Lord's doing a work in people. How dare we ever miss a work that the Lord's doing in somebody and then miss the harvest? He's called us to go. Whosoever is Greek for whosoever, all means all. The peace and salvation that is making us whole in Christ also brings the wholeness to the divisions we've created between each other. At the beginning of the service, I talked about the core sin of lordship. There's also another core sin that came out of the fall and that's the anonymity between each other, where it talks about how Eve will serve Adam, and there's this now strife between the relationships. And that carries out not only between men and women, husband and wives, it carries out in families, it carries out in people groups, and ethnicities, and races. That's part of the fall. We all, I read, I think it's by the age of nine, We become aware of our race, and we become aware if our race is in a seat of power or not. We become aware of those distinctions at the age of nine, the age of nine. But we are of the human race created by God, united by the Holy Spirit. And yes, we can celebrate the differences for sure. But what unites us together is the Holy Spirit and the truth and the salvation that is for anyone who responds. And so we can't make distinctions of we'll serve them, but not them. We'll welcome them, but not them. That's not what's happening here. And the last thing to really get into it, because I'm on a roll and I was challenged by it. In the year 2020, we entered into a crucible of division as a society. Families and friendships torn apart because of how we're handling COVID-19. We've had people leave the church because they thought we we didn't do it right or that we went too far. And and I I get it. Everyone was passionate about it because it was a life and death thing. And are are we sacrificing the importance of worship for the sake of our fear? I mean, it was all over the place. We just started pulling and pulling. And then you add on top of the COVID stuff, all of the race stuff. And how people were treating each other, and then you add on top of that all the political divide. I'm a Republican, you're a Democrat, and I hate you, whatever. and just pull, 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 pull. And what we did as a society, and maybe even as a capital C church—not just but, but a we elevated the things of the world over the things of the sacred. Right? You can have opinions. And you can have political parties. And you can have strong convictions. You can have all that. I get it. But it doesn't give us the license to be nasty and cruel to others in whom God has created, in whom God may have been working on and making clean. We can't show that partiality. That's what I got out of this text the most. Lord of all, absolutely. And, and, and the gospel has the power to change lives. But more importantly, a teaching tool for us all as we go forward is that God has given us marching orders to do greater things than he did, than Christ did, right? And that's to love him above all else and love others just as he has loved us. And so as we go out into our common places, our workplaces, our, our schools, our grocery stores, whatever it is, you are going with the power of transformation of the gospel. And show no partiality. Share it. Share it with a warm smile, with a handshake. Invest in someone's life, but just do it and do it with boldness and and courage and know that it's not on you to change that person's heart. Because here in conclusion, I bring your attention to Cornelius one more time. Cornelius was not just a cold, cold, out of the cold kind of person. God was working on his heart long before Peter arrived. And God was working on his heart long before Peter preached the sermon and they heard the gospel. Oftentimes we receive the gospel or have the workings of the gospel inside us before we even hear it because that's how the Holy Spirit works. We can't control where the Holy Spirit's gonna go. All we can do is love the Lord above all else and love everyone, all means all, just as we have been loved. And see the glorious things that God can do with that witness. Whosoever, it's great for whosoever, all means all. Therefore, go and be his witnesses and his light to all the world. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, I thank you again for a challenging message for us all. And if we're all honest, we've all done stupid stuff. We have all made judgment calls. We have all done distinctions and and things like that and but God in those moments in those oh Peter moments that we have treat us like Peter and remind us and convict us and we give thanks that you don't leave us and abandon us but you still work with us in the midst of that brokenness and those oopsies and that in that the power of your spirit comes alive and does amazing glorious things oh Lord may we be obedient to that and to truly embrace the understanding that for God so loved all the world, that he sent his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.